Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the soapily beautific hills of Encino, California, where industry and nature work hand in hand. I don't, I don't get it. To create a better life for all of us. The following program is produced by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network, which includes uh, sh- what Shoutcast and uh, Air FM and Hear Women Talk and the filling in your teeth. Um, do we have to hear women talk? No, we don't. We, we can ignore them, which is usually what Matt does. Yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. He's not alone. <laughs> you know what the, the definition of charm is, Howard Lapidus? The definition of charm. The definition of charm is getting the answer yes without ever having to ask the question. And and, and therein lies uh, our, 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 today's murderer. Today's murderer never had to ask a question That's except, right. uh, where do I get hold of your pantyhose? Uh, we have uh, Charles Buckley on the phone. Welcome. Hi, I'll call you Charlie. How you doing, Charlie? Fine, fine. Nice to talk to you. Well, that's what you think now. Wait, 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 wait till the hour's over. And, and, right. and, now, and now, do we call, seriously, do we call, I don't want to call you Charlie if you don't want to be called Charlie. No, either one. I don't know. Either. I do I, I, Charles. Call me Charles. Okay, that Charles. Would, see? I, yeah. I, I, Charles I in charge. Uh-huh. You know, he was kind of like Paladin. Remember Paladin? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Have yeah. done. Uh, yeah. For, for years, I thought his name was, first name was Wire, because the card said Wire Paladin, San Francisco. <laughs> you were just a boy. Yeah, I was a young boy. Charles uh, was, was kind of like Paladin. He said it was like, you know, have briefcase, will travel. He was uh, uh, crisscrossing New Jersey as Deputy Attorney General. Right. Yeah, kind of like the uh, that Danny K movie with the Inspector General traveling around, you know. Where's Encino? Encino, it's, uh, you know where Hades is located? (laughs) (laughs) It's right smack dab in the middle of the San Fernando Valley. Yeah, part of uh, Los Angeles. Just north of Los uh, Los Los Angeles. All right. I'm just back from California. I spent 10 days in uh, Fallbrook, which is just north of San Diego. Oh. It was great. <laughs> oh, I thought it was just up the street. Oh, I said Oh, we have that, too. We have yeah. a fall break here. But Everyone yeah, has yeah, we're, we're We're part of uh, the city of Los Angeles. And proud of it. Yes. Well, it's nice and warm here today. Now, yeah. this business about industry and nature getting together, <laughs> Charles, don't listen to him. We, we have no industry. <laughs> oh. And it's all very unnatural here. This is where they film all the porn, by the way. You might recognize some of the houses. Not in Encino. Oh. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. No. Not in Woodland Hills. Chatsworth. Chatsworth. So just in case you're going on a tour <laughs> of, of where the porn stars live. By the way, you're, you're, you know, they have the, the tour of all the tombs and the, and the death and the murder thing. Yeah. There's a good one. Let's go on. You're the kidding. Por- no, no. We, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is California, Charles. We, we, right. we sell anything possible. Yeah, we will exploit whatever you happen to have. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to exploit. And speaking of exploiting, we're going to try to sell as many of your books today as humanly possible. All right. There you go. The book is called Charmer, and the guy is, uh, is was Robert uh, Reedon, if that's how you pronounce his name. Reldon. Reldon? That's Robert an L. Reldon. I can't tell an L from an I. But what, what, he changed his name from what? He, he did change his no. name. He, well, he tried to change his name. I thought Goldstein. he did. Goldstein. Oh, later on, he tried to change it. He was in prison. He tried to change it to have the same name as the warden of the prison. <laughs> for some reason. I gotta like that. He's a smart guy. He, now, he's a that's not the story I knew. That's yeah. funny, though. That's yeah. great. <laughs> oh, God, i got to meet this guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, He'll charm you the socks right off yeah, you. there you go. I mean, this guy really was and always has been a charmer. The picture on the front of the book, Charmer, uh, it shows him when he was a young man, very good yeah. looking. That's that's a, the charmer. That's his rape arrest for the uh, Bernice Kaplan rape in 67. 
But uh, he's not quite that good looking anymore. Well, because no, he's guy, not. Yeah. But uh, believe me, he uh, he not only was good looking, he was a powerful, powerfully built guy, and he w- he could charm you. He just had that ability. But, but he, he came from wealth. He never, as growing up, never was from what? I mean, his, no, his, his, his parents weren't wealthy. They did well. The father owned a coffee shop in, in New York City. But he always knew that his aunt was so wealthy. And that's, that's one of the things, I think, that drove this guy nuts. There was all that money close by. And he just couldn't get his hands on it. He, he, it really aggravated him when she doled out thousand dollar checks to the family at Christmas time, but gave hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to various charities. And this drove him nuts. Yeah, but so. she was a, a, a massive philanthropist. Her name yes. Lillian uh, Booth. Booth. Yeah, IBM heiress. She, yeah. she worked in her her brother in law's uh, restaurant. That's how she met Mr. Booth. He'd come in for coffee in the morning. And they struck up a relationship. She married him. He was the son of a millionaire, and he made a lot of money himself. Booth's father was one of the founders of IBM. Founder, IBM and another company, big and big investor. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Booth died. Then the husband died ten years later. Left her fifty or so million, and she just that's when that was a lot of money. Absolutely. Well, she turned Burl. that into. Just I think her, her estate was two hundred million when she yeah. yeah. Just a shock, Burl, that fifty million. Is but a lot she of gave money away now. so much more. I mean, it could have been. You know, she was very generous. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll so tell you this: uh, this uh, Robert Reldon character, uh, the uh, main character of your book, uh, Charmer, uh, he was already going uh, doing weird stuff when he was a teenager. He was already attacking women. I mean, this guy looks like a, a first class psychopath from the get go. But this is a Ted Bundy type. Just the audience can kind of yeah. visualize this guy. Oh, that was one of the things that, the, you know, they just, the, the authorities never took it that seriously. You know, in those days, and still today, the push is to move cases. That's a problem. You've got to get rid of the cases. You can't let them pile up. And he benefited during several instances from that philosophy on the part of the various prosecutors' office. Like, there were five elevator assaults over in northwest Manhattan and uh, grabbed these old ladies in chokeholds in the elevator, stealing their pocketbook. And uh, New York City or New York State let him plead to one of the five. So Just later to get it on, over with, yeah. Later on, when he's in prison uh, being evaluated, they say, well, he only has one conviction. But they let him plea bargain those things away. How many things How many things was he arrested on before he actually uh, committed murder? I mean, where along the way could the system have stopped this guy and That's saved the lives of, of some people? That's a great well, line, it, came to a, it came to a time when he had these, in New York, he had five elevator assaults, all big-time crimes. I mean, serious crimes, robberies, assaults, and one gun, gun sh- uh armed robbery of a uh, a uh, concessionaire a guy was collecting from uh, the uh, machines the types of uh, coffee machines and things like that so that's six major crimes in new york city at the same time in new jersey they had two two b and e's two assaults on women one with a tire iron one with a club a uh, gun in the car and there was one other charge and they let him plead in each case to uh, just one violent crime in in the uh, in the in the New York City attacks in the elevator, and and the other three were just nonviolent crimes. So all these seven other violent crimes were dismissed. So then he goes on, 
and kills the Susans. Well, it's, and, well, and so well it, in between that, though, he, he rapes a woman, gets a 30-year sentence. How did the system not stop this guy? Wasn't there a period? Where, uh, question, uh, question. How did the system not stop him? How did he keep sliding through? Well, the system, first of all, back in those days, in, I'm only talking about New Jersey, the prosecutors in those days were part-time prosecutors. They, they also had their private uh, practices as attorneys, and they're, they're politically appointed here in New Jersey. So uh, these guys have two things on their mind, doing their job as prosecutors and maintaining their private law practices. So when it cases come along, and there's multiple charges against the guy, they look for the easiest way to dispose of four or five cases. I mean, that's how it was done. It's, it's still done that way today to a, lar- to a large degree, but now they're, they're full-time prosecutors. But that's what happened. Deals were made. The defense attorneys knew that the prosecutors wanted to move cases, so they just looked for the easy way out. Wasn't there a period where he was in a sex offender program? Well, he was he was convicted of rape, and in New Jersey, when you're convicted of rape, you're sent to a uh, a facility down in the Trenton State uh, Prison System, and uh, he it's uh, a diagnosis section and a, and a section to uh, rehabilitate you. And he was he was uh, held to be a very dangerous guy, but he got involved with a, uh, a psych- psychologist there named William Pendergast, who uh, took took Relvin under his wing, and Relvin could talk the pants off you. He just had that ability. Yeah, apparently he could charm Blasio. That's why you call him a charmer. He could could convince anybody of anything. He he did three years on a a 30-year sentence, and after only three years, based by the uh, reports Prendergast would send to the parole board, he was a cured person with, with no probability he would be involved in repetitive activity. If this guy had been a female, you would think they'd be sleeping together. Um, <laughs> but how do, you do, how do you do your job knowing that you're fighting, you're trying to put a guy away that should have been put away a long time ago. Uh, it's just five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten tries. And the guy keeps getting out. And he keeps he? getting out. And, and, and he gets out to finally and ultimately murder a couple people. And, and my question is, is, is and you say it's going on now. So how many people are out there in the system in New Jersey that could end up murdering people? Well, you know, you, you do your best. You have, you, you try, you know, how, how do you know? You have people that are assigned and hired to do the, make these evaluations, uh, these judgments for the court. I mean, the court has to finally pass on all the recommendations, but uh, they slip through. A guy like Relvin, he he could if he could charge charm the women, he could charge Prendergast, he can charge the judges in terms of uh, reaching a sentence. Now, Benny Galante, Judge Ben Galante, is the guy who sentenced him for the charges in New Jersey way back in '69 or '70, whatever it was. And he was one of the toughest sentencers in Bergen County. And he let this guy plead to two, two minor counts, and it's at the recommendation of the prosecutor's office, making them both run concurrent with each other, which means you've got two charges here and you're only going to do time on one. And then he makes them concurrent with what the guy's already doing in New York State on the, uh, on the uh, elevator charge. So for, for ten, 10 crimes, he gets one five-year sentence. That's all he was given, and he got out after three years with that. So if I'm thinking about committing a crime, Charles... Go to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's kind of like it's. It, you it, have the, to commit the, a whole bunch. The tour, yeah. the tourist board should get in business. <laughs> <laughs> Considering a career in crime, come to New, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. And you got a family. I mean, a family who's well known. The aunt is well known. They're, they stand by him all the way. A nice sister, you know, a nice sister, a mother and father to care about him. Uh, you know, there's a lot. He's got a lot of things going for him. When it comes time to make a decision, is what's the appropriate uh, penalty that should be imposed upon him for the rape case? The parents tried to get the, the state to uh, allow him to be sent to a hospital in Canada without a jail time. I mean, that's what they wanted to do for him. Well, it's those hospitals in Canada. They, you know, I was in one. So, so, <laughs> and he should maybe still be there. And there's no question. So, so, so. But my goodness, how about the family? I mean, the, the the aunt with all the money right. sees this kid time and time and time. How many times do you get somebody off and, and provide a defense for them, or figure their, you know use the family name to get him off without so going? You know what? Maybe something's wrong with old Bob. But no, but wait. You know, young Bob, I think is a little troubled. Wait, listen to listen to this. You know, he he was in prison in prison, and he tried to hire a hitman to kill the aunt. He wanted to kill her because he couldn't wait any longer get his hands on this inheritance because he knew he was going to be indicted on the two murder charges. So he tried to have her killed. This is she a then nice turns guy. around and supports him. She provides attorney's fees for him. She, she refused to believe it, yeah. Yeah. That her, so on, her Bobby would do this. On her own, on the charge of attempted murder on her, yeah. she provided the defense to right. the person that was going to Kill her. have her killed. Right. And the, fu- the funny thing was, she had already provided $75,000 so that he could hire the firm of Edward Bennett Williams in New York to defend him wow. on what would be the upcoming double homicide case. He's already put that money forward, and it would cost her another dollars $80,000, $100,000 for the full trial. That was just for the pre-trial stuff. Now, imagine and, this, Charles. Imagine this. Imagine if he took all of this ability to charm and all of this, you know, all of the ways he worked the system and just went to work for IBM. <laughs> and by rich. now on Wall Street, IBM, he would he would be a bazillionaire, this guy. He, would, he certainly would, no question about a it. Bazillionaire, People loved him. Yeah, but bazillionaire. You know, he, had, he had girlfriends you couldn't count. That's why the family couldn't believe he, he raped this uh, Bernice Kaplan, because they said he has more girlfriends than anyone, you know, could possibly well, have. That, that wasn't uh, the rape and all that wasn't about having a girlfriend. I it was know. about an act of violence. I, I it's never about but that. They, yeah. they couldn't see that. I mean, he meets Judith Rosenberg on vacation, and one day... Uh, she's she's separated from her. She's not separated. She she's back in Chicago and she's down there having a week vacation. And she says she fell in love with him the first day. Uh, and then it's of the course Jewish, she goes back Jewish and her women, husband gets murdered. Yeah, Jewish women will do that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk. Listen to women. No, well, you know, we, collectively we've been married to a bunch of Jewish women. That's, that's okay. No, that's but that's not true. the same ones, by no, no, no. But just you know, might as well be. <laughs> 
Oh, you boy. three guys, hey. I don't have it. It sounds like you have a really tough job, Dave. <laughs> hey, hey, Charles, we have a great time every Saturday afternoon. And by yeah. the way, yeah, and if you're ever on the West Coast, you have, should come visit us in the Lighting Up Lounge. You'd have a great time. But uh, it, we love talking to people such as yourself, guys that uh, got into the DNA of a murder right. and a murderer like this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then went off and wrote your book, Charmed, which is out there right now. Yeah. What happened was, it's interesting because I'm, I'm the third guy to try the homicide cases. I had had no 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 real dealing with them. The murders happened in my backyard when I lived in Norwood. The two murders actually happened within a few miles of where where I lived. And I never, I mean, I never thought working for the state in Trenton I would have any involvement in the case. But uh, what's the point it was going to make? It was something. <laughs> uh, you, were, you were surprised that you were going to get involved. Yeah, yeah, but there was something. Uh, now it slipped my mind. Well, it'll come back to you eventually. Yeah. yeah. Um, what were you doing for the, for the city? For the state? Right. Yeah, I was. I was a prosecutor uh, in New Jersey. There, they had. There's 21 counties, and each county has a local prosecutor. He's not elected. He's appointed in New Jersey by the governor. And and then they have the attorney general's office at the Division of Criminal Justice. We work primarily with the state police and handle organized crime, uh, political corruption. We don't That'll really keep don't you busy in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's. Okay, if, if you don't mind, Charles, let's make a quick left turn. First, quick question: Did you also run a private practice concurrently? No. Okay, no, so you were strictly you were strictly a prosecutor for the state of New Jersey. Yes. And when you say let's let's put Relin aside for a moment. We'll get back to him. We'll, we'll talk about the book in a bit. But I find, you know, you yourself, let's talk about some of the things that you got to do in New Jersey. Who? What, tell us about some of the people you chased down and convicted. Well, I, I've, uh, I had been with the Attorney General's Office for years, and I had a lot of trial experience, and I was really rated as one of the, you know, the top litigators they had. So... I got cases which were good cases. You know, in a prosecutor's office, you get, you know, take the case on the run. These are major cases. I tried a, uh, a top superior court judge who was taking bribes for fixing sentences for uh, criminals, mm. uh, convicted him. I convicted the uh, acting boss of the Bruno Scarfo crime family. That's a number five crime family out of the New York City area convicted him Did you, let's uh, put a, let's ask some questions i want to drill down on that for a second yeah scared when you were doing that no these guys for the most part they realize it's it's a risk of what the kind of business they do although when i tried and convicted the guy named john DeGilio, who was the acting genovese uh, family boss on the new jersey waterfront waterfront uh, I, I was somewhat scared there because I thought he was a person who wouldn't, uh, uh, you know, yeah, be able to do anything off, to get yeah. even get an German. He could get so, get an German. He might do something. It so, took six months to convict them. But, but for the most uh, part, those guys have a code. You have your job. If yeah, you, if pretty you can, much. Pretty so, much. So the, that's not a really a problem uh, generally in terms of a fear factor. But, uh, you know, we have state police with us, so we got help. <laughs> yeah, but still. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Still but, and then I, I was assigned on five separate occasions to be the acting prosecutor in various counties, and that comes up when, there, when you get, say, a Democratic governor and uh, uh, the, the county wants a Republican there because that's a Republican county, but the governor wants to put his man in, and the state senator says, no, I won't let you. So 
they get tied up in squabbles, and they send someone up from Trenton to be the acting prosecutor. So I was on five different counties. I did that. But you never went to sleep at night with one eye open. <laughs> no, I, I trusted my wife. <laughs> now, That's see, a big mistake based on our experience. <laughs> How the hell did you slip through? <laughs> Listen, we got to take a 60-second break, Charles. Okay. And we'll be right back, and we'll talk about your book, Charmer. If you own an iPhone or ride the plastic pony in front of Kroger, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now free to roam and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio iPhone application, the smoking, drinking, interrupting, did I say interrupting? 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your iPhone is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends at Outlaw Radio, like me. Change the way you listen to the radio seven days a week, now available at the iTunes App Store. It's not easy being a true crime writer. You meet all sorts of strange people. For example, Paul St. Pierre, an alcoholic sociopath who wanted to kill all the time. His brother, Christopher, well, he committed unspeakable acts just to be one of the boys. Paul's best pal, Andrew Webb, talked to skulls and longed to eat human flesh. Obviously, these guys had deep-rooted emotional problems. Biggest problem? Double homicide. One guy's throat slashed, another they chopped his head off, put in a bucket of concrete, and threw the bucket in the Puyallup River. The book is called Headshot. This is all true. Who wrote it? I did. I'm Burl Bear. Book is out right now from Pinnacle True Crime in paperback and immediate electronic download. Get yours today. Hi. Stay tuned for Bewitched. Next in color. Back to True Crime Uncensored. Yeah, that's that's true. With Burl Bear and Howard Lapidus. And don't forget what's his name. Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. That's me. And sometimes Marie Mackey Esquire. Hasn't been here in a year. <laughs> produced by Magic Matthew Allen. Who in turn is produced by... Who in turn is produced by Lori Downey Jr. I don't want to be produced. Yeah, she has the legs of a dancer, and the dancer wants them back. <laughs> what the hell's the matter with you? <laughs> I don't how know. Long, how long was it going to take for you to go there? My goodness. <laughs> we have an esteemed prosecutor on the, on the line. <laughs> and and you. I haven't asked him what he's wearing. <laughs> please, oh God. <laughs> Charles, please. Bear, I'm here. Bear with us. <laughs> and Burrell with us, too. Didn't mean to say with us. Yeah. Uh, okay, we're talking about this Robert Reldon, who was a real piece of work, uh, charmer, uh, a serial killer, multiple rapist, uh, and boy, this guy could get away with just about anything uh, except murder. Charles, when this guy finally goes out and murders people, I mean, it, it seems to me like his, his line of reasoning was, gee, I raped this woman and they caught me because she identified me. Next time, the smart thing to do would be to kill her. I think you're right. I think that's exactly what happened. He reached a point where he he decided that uh, the way to avoid all this is to just dispose of the body. It didn't work too well for him. 
Well, he was new at the game. You know, <laughs> you know you... <laughs> so, and, and Charles, those that are new at the game, can you tell us how they operate? <laughs> well, we don't know because we haven't caught them, so we don't know. Yeah. Oh, well, he's caught a few people. Yeah. But so uh, let, let's talk about the, the unfortunate victims here that he did he did murder. Yeah. Can you tell, tell us about them? Well, the, fir- the first was a, a woman named Susan Haynes. Uh, her husband and her had just been married. Uh, she had been in South Africa for a while, and I think she came to England, and they married, and he was sent over here by one of the auto- automobile companies, and he was just they were just newly married, working here in, in uh, uh, New Jersey, up at what they call the Northern Valley region of New Jersey, in Haworth, and... Uh, one afternoon, I mean, he's, he goes to work, and everything is fine. He comes home, and the, the house is just absolutely perfect, not a, not a thing out of place. And his wife has just disappeared with, with just nothing to indicate where she had gone and what had happened to her. Uh, there was a lot of talk. She was homesick. I mean, the first thoughts were uh, she, she's going somewhere to try and get back to England or go visit people. She's just so homesick. But would, of, he would have known, though, at that point that, you know, not, not if she's homesick, you know, you wake up one day and say, I'm homesick, I'm going back to South Africa, and oh. not tell the husband. Well, that, that, that was the problem. <laughs> I mean, there was that thought that they contacted all the people, all the friends, and uh, nothing uh, nothing showed up. And it, it wasn't until the second girl disappeared that everyone realized. I mean, the, the fear had started. And fear permeated the uh, that Northern Valley region of the state where I lived uh, after that second second girl disappeared. That this this is a problem. I mean, people were really concerned. My wife was afraid. And uh, of you? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No, but they, you know they 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 both disappeared under just incredibly unique circumstances. And no one could figure it out. So tell and, us about tell us about that time. I mean, and the, the fear when when a neighborhood or a section is feared. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it permeated the the conversation. You know, women women in the street talking. When when Reldon was arrested the day on, on the thirtieth and thirty first of October. Now the first girl disappeared on the sixth of October. Uh, Mrs. H- Mrs. Haynes and Susan Reeve disappeared on the fourteenth of October. Now their bodies are, are found uh, close uh, together, on the 29th, yeah. 28th of October, I believe. And he then commits these two stupid uh, B&Es and attempted larceny in, in Norwood and in Kloster. I mean, where he, he's begging to get caught. That's, and we were warned, uh, not warned, but we were suggested whoever committed these murders may try and get himself arrested on some minor crimes just to take himself out of the... You know the eye view of of the police. Just take them off off the scene. Does that happen a lot? Sure. Okay. So so uh, now uh, when when he's now surrenders on these silly stupid B and E's where he had to get caught, no question. The word was the rumors around. They got the guy. Now they never charged him with a crime. But the word was out. He was the guy who had done it. But it is so funny. All of a sudden, the fear factor almost disappeared entirely, and yet no one's ever charged with a crime since 75. It's not till uh, February 1st of 1977 that Reldon actually gets indicted over a year, year and a half later. And each of these women indicted. have been strangled to death with their own panty. How did they, uh, and you're part of this team, how, how, how was he caught? How was he, how, how did how'd you get him? On this, well, what what happened was you know the uh, you heard the story about when when he was attempting to kill his aunt, 
when he, he's trying to set a plan in motion. Now, he's in jail. He's in jail on his two B&Es, and he's going to be uh, paroled by sometime in March of 77. So the prosecutor's under a lot of, a lot of uh, pressure to try and get this case resolved. They knew who did it. They had enough to indict him, but they didn't want to indict him too soon because they wanted to keep trying to What'd they uh, have? gather what, evidence. What did they have that they knew it was him? Well, they, they had... They had a guy named Raymond Lozier, who actually identified Reldon as, and his car as being the last person seen in close proximity to Susan Reeve after she got up off the bus and started walking home. They had a sandblasting mask that was found in the middle of the street. He had rented a sandblasting mask that day to do some work on, on a doctor's house. And he never returned the mask. And the guy who was uh, working the job with him said, well, well, the mask got broken. This mask that was found in the street just about where Susan Reeve was, was taken, uh, that, that mask had a broken glass in it, just like the one Relvin had. You had somebody, a, a woman who saw Miss, Miss Reeve get off the bus and start walking up the avenue, and another guy who saw a guy, a man following her in close proximity. You had you had the uh, the dress she was wearing specifically identified as being uh, being worn by the woman who was uh, being accosted by Reldon. You had his his car specifically identified by Lozier as being this is the car that I saw at the, at that scene. Wasn't Lozier wasn't Lozier a detective? No, no, he no, was just, he was just driving a... by. And then you then you had this interesting thing that uh, the day. Susan Haynes had a very unique engagement ring. It was not one you buy. This is specially made by Harris in, in, uh, in, or especially sold by them in, in London. And it's a very unique ring. So Relvin stupidly decides, now this is a, a ring that's worth a certain amount of money, but he's committed a murder. He takes it over to Macy's in New York and sells it. And he gets $100 for it. Oh, now, it's boy. a ring that anyone who gets a hold of will say, this is a very unique, easily identifiable ring. The next day, he's called down to the prosecutor's office. Now, because he's on parole, he's on parole on a, on a uh, sex charge, and everybody knew he was one of the guys who had the potential to be committing these kind of murders, they call him in for an interview on the 22nd. Now, he panics now. He panics because he says... I'm under. I'm under investigation. He runs back to Macy's the next day and wants his ring back. And it would have been fine, except the dealer who handled his case wasn't there that morning. And Reldon raised a stink about this ring. He wanted this ring. It was important. They had to call store security. The guy came in at noontime, and Relton got the ring back. But that just rang a bell later on when oh, sure. police asked for help in this. The guy, the guy from Macy's security, was up. This guy, Robert Relton, was over there that day. He's trying to get the about ring back. This ring he wanted back. <laughs> and the other thing, the other thing was interesting was on the twenty first, the same the same day that he that he had uh, uh, sold the ring at Macy's. There were two. Uh, there was. Uh, workers up at Tallman State Park, and their job was to check the outflow from the, uh, the pool there into the Hudson River to check for the chlorine, the amount of chlorine going out. And they went to a place where they had to check the water. It was fine. That's on the 21st. They come back the next week, and there's a body there. Well, in what had happened, both bodies had been placed initially at the same location. But when, Reldon, when this happened with Relvin, uh, 
being called in for needle, he went back and moved the second body. And we know that because the body of Susan Reeve had willow leaves embedded in it. As the body was deteriorating, these leaves, which were uh, in, the, in the initial location, were laying on her, and they, they just morphed into the body. But where the body was found there were no willow trees. So they knew that this body had been moved from one place to the other, and where the first body was found, there were plenty of willow trees. So we knew that in that week, a lot had happened. The ring problem, the movement of the bodies. So they're building this case all, bigger all, and bigger of, and bigger. All of that, what was, the, what, was the, what was the linchpin? What was the smoking gun that got them? Well, there was no single smoking gun, but there, there was just, you know, just an accumulation of evidence. You had, you had the Lozier identification, and then you had the admissions he made to the, uh, to the Williams brothers in jail when he's attempting to line them up to murder the aunt. He told them, he said he didn't have any problems with, you know, the murder case, except he shouldn't have moved the bodies. He said something to that effect. <laughs> the guy's got a, he's not very really bright for short a farmer. On, short on conversation that day? Oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> he's smart. I just believe me. He is a smart guy, but, uh, you know. Was he well. prosecuted for all of the murders that he suspected no, of? No, no. What happened, the uh, uh, the first two were prosecuted by an assistant Bergen County prosecutor. Uh, then came the third trial, and the defense made a phony motion. Now, the, the then now sitting Bergen County prosecutor, Larry McClure, had represented the Williams brothers. That was the two, two guys in prison who were uh, going to help do the murder that there was a conflict between Larry McClure because he had represented them during their testimony mm-hmm. for the state. They were state's witnesses. But the, uh, the criminal assignment judge just, just didn't want any problems, so he, he prevailed upon Larry to refer the case down to the attorney general's office, and I got assigned to go up and try it. Mm. So, uh, so so he figures, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. they got enough evidence against me. Uh, I maybe, uh, maybe it's time to bump off my aunt and get a bunch more money. Yeah, we need better problems. Well, that was before he was even indicted. I mean, uh, that uh, they hadn't indicted him yet. But he could see it coming down the road. Oh, yes. He knew because they had already hired uh, the Edward Bennett Williams firm. But when, when, the state, when the police come in and arrested him on the plan to kill his aunt, Edward Bennett Williams' firm just backed out completely no, yeah, of the to do uh, this. murder case. <laughs> Now, so, I mean, here he is. He plots to murder his multi-millionaire aunt, who's been yeah. so sweet to him. Yeah. So we can get more money to hire more attorneys or do something. And uh, she goes, "Oh, he wouldn't do that. Bobby <laughs> wouldn't do that." Well, she was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Which was it for eight million dollars in the seventies? You know. Yeah. That's about how much it was, I think. It was, didn't he eventually, he eventually nine, got nine, the nine, I thought it was 8.9 or 9.9 million dollars. Yeah. Trust fund, yeah. Kids, close yeah. enough. All right, so he, so, but. He uh, got that. His sister got that. See, there, there were well, five there, beneficiaries from, uh, from the aunt's uh, will. There were five brothers and sisters, and she gave them each the same. Now, what happened, her sister Marie, who was Reldon's mother, had already died. So the, the, her money went half to Bob and half to uh, the sister Susan, which is interesting. Susan Reldon, Susan Haynes, Susan Reeve. Did he have a thing against his sister? <laughs> Never, evidently not. She's, she's funding him now in, in his various attempts to get out on parole. She's the, the one. Guy's, the guy's 78 years old, right? How, how old is he now? 
Uh, he was born in 1970. He would be... Oh, 1970? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Really? Oh, hey, forget it. Younger, 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 younger. No, so, I mean, it's, uh, 1940. Oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so he is older than I am, thank God. Yeah, yeah 1940. Yeah. He's, uh, Prison must have been not so hard on him. 72, I said. 72 years old, right. Yeah. So he gets he gets 30 years for the Haynes and Reeve murders, but he becomes, as you may mentioned briefly, the wealthiest lifer in the prison system because the aunt that he tries to have killed dies, still yeah. believing he's innocent of trying to kill her, leaves him 8.9 million dollars yeah. in a trust fund. Yeah. Not that the money's going to do him a hell of a lot of so, good. Uh, but, but she, it was all left. It wasn't just for him in a trust fund. It was left. Everyone gets it in a trust fund. Every one of the brothers and sisters, uh, it, it would only go to them after they died. So he, he couldn't touch it. Only his children could eventually. But he not, only got, he not only got 30 years for the murder of Susan Haynes, he got a life on top of that for Susan Reeves. Then he got 60 years before that for the plans to murder his aunt and her boyfriend. Any, so he had a, a lot of time. He had a lot of time on his hands. Any eligibility, any parole? Uh, After 100 years, I think, maybe. Well, well I mean, Charlie Manson uh, comes up for parole all the time. I mean, did this yeah, guy get a little... What happened in here in New Jersey with, with Rel, that he, he filed for parole uh, not too long ago. It was, it was denied, and they... Uh, the parole board in denying him then fixed a uh, what an extra term of how much they sent. So I think another uh, thirty years he had to do before he's eligible for parole. But then our uh, legislature, with very little background, uh, no twenty more years before he could apply. They they fixed that denial on April first, nineteen oh nine. They said you got to do twenty more years before you can come up for uh, parole. Relvin, through his with his sister's money, has filed a lawsuit to try and get that thrown out. But in the meantime, the legislature has uh, passed a new law saying, in every three every three years, you're going to have to be uh, considered this guy for parole. I so, don't. I don't think they're going to let him out. I don't think so either. I mean, uh, Mr. Relvin, uh, Mr. Reeve has dedicated himself to making sure this guy never gets out of jail. Now, this, this brings up, and I, and I don't know if we've got to take a break here in a minute or not, but one thing I really want to get into here is, is this guy gets his trust fund. Arthur Reeve, the father of victim Susan Reeve, he goes after Reldon in court to try to keep him from getting the money, right? Very interesting. I'll tell you how that happens when we get a minute. That is very interesting because it just I just don't know how they pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, uh, the, what, what intrigues me about this is it's mentioned in the, in the uh, promo material for uh, uh, for your book Charmer that uh, uh, wasn't that he was going to use his money to buy a yacht or anything because he's obviously in the slammer. His idea was to use his vast amount of money to hire the best attorneys possible. Am I correct? Well, I, you know, I don't know what he had planned for it. Uh, he would probably do anything he could to get out of jail. So that, if that involved uh, the best attorneys, that's I, fine. Can you buy your way out in New Jersey? No, no, not quite. <laughs> but nobody's offered, made me an offer yet. I mean. <laughs> There's always that possibility. Yeah. Well, well, we'll keep that know. in mind, Charles. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have some bagels and a schmear. <laughs> do you want to talk about the, uh, or do you have a break coming up? Uh, let's, let's talk about it real let's quick. Let's talk about it real quick. Okay. Uh, uh, Mr. Reeve goes to a guy named Robert Zeller. This is the, the guy father. Did, this is the father of the, the father of the, of the second victim. Second victim. Okay, go ahead. He finds out. I mean, he hears about this aunt dying, and Bob Relvin is getting his millions and millions of dollars. That's the, mur the murder. This okay. guy is a, was an attorney. He was a class attorney from Bergen County, well liked, well respected, just a gentleman. And no matter how you how you look at him, he just 
a perfect type of guy. And he this just drives him nuts. So he goes to Zeller. The problem is, uh, the law as it stood, the only way he only money he could get out of this if he sued would be for the wrongful death of Susan Reeve. He he had a suit as as her father to sue for a wrongful death, but all you were entitled to under the wrongful death statute was uh, economic loss. Now, this girl wasn't working. She just starting to work. She had no economic uh, prospects yet. She had to, So there was no money to be had by suing under the wrongful death sta- statute. Now, there was a companion statute called the Survivors Act. But back in uh, a few years earlier, they had changed the uh, Death Act to, to remove the statute of limitations from it in homicide cases. But they had never done it on the Survivors Act and their companion statutes. It was strictly an oversight. But now you got an issue, you know, can you, can you get this law changed now? And it, really just with the idea of affecting Robert Relvin, it, it's like an ex post facto law. Yeah, yeah, selective so, enforcement, whatever they call it. But this guy, uh, Zeller, uh, he just did a magnificent job. He, he goes to the, the people who sponsored the original bill. They were still in the, in the Senate and the Assembly, and they acknowledged this was a mistake. It shouldn't have been. So he filed a suit under the wrongful death just to get the thing started. And then he had the legislature amend that statute to, uh, to include the Survivors Act, and the gov- governor uh, signed it on, on his, almost his last day in office after he lost the election. So they changed, but to me, that, that was always here. like, uh, they can't do this. I mean, it really is just aimed at Robert Relvin. That's not the way you can pass laws. They did it. They never contested it. So. It's strange because in the Iridian, uh, it says, while in prison, when he tried for Susan Murray's Relvin tried to hire him and to kill his well-being, he hoped to earn money to retain top criminal defense attorneys. Now, if that was the case, it could be argued, wait a second, what does this mean? Wealthy, you get a better defense than if you're poor. Absolutely, there's no question about it. If you can hire Edward Bennett Williams to represent you, and these guys bury you with motions and motions, if, if they I'm turn that, them out. If I'm that law firm, it was like hitting bingo. I mean, come on, they don't. They, the guy's not getting out. Is he really going to check their work? Well, uh, no. This was before his. I mean, this was before his indictment and. You know, this oh, goes oh, yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. hired them. Uh, they were supposed to represent him on the two murder cases, but then he got, uh, you know, uh, arrested on the uh, plans to kill the ant, and they jumped right out of the case. Yeah, yeah. So, but it, it, it's interesting that that was his, his reasoning. You go, ooh, that's kind of scary. I mean, just to the implications of that. So, there's no question about it. The, uh, you have the money to hire the right attorney. You have a significantly better chance of beating the... Uh, the well, I'll tell you, this This may aggravate you. I, in, in Linwood, Washington, and I know this from personal experience, if uh, you uh, plead, uh, plead on pleading not guilty, the public defender is not there for you. The public defender is only there for you if you plead guilty. <laughs> Where is it? Linwood, Washington. Well. Hey, Charles, real quick, just a little, I know this is a little off topic, but you're in Jersey and involved in politics. Well, kind of. I mean, you've been in the state right. government. You, you know what's going on. Is it true that uh, Governor Chris Christie is is running for the uh, presidency of, of, of Krispy Kreme. Is that uh, true? 
<laughs> I, I kid him. Well, I mean, yeah, you're Danish. talking about a great governor. You know what, dude? <laughs> by the way, he's a good chance he may be the vice presidential by, candidate. By the way, I hope so. <laughs> That's why. I, I, we, but he's got a sense of humor, and thank goodness. <laughs> he, he, and the governor from Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, both got a great sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, really. And and but I don't. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I like like to ask the this is Mark yes. Boyer asking. Um, uh, what made you pick this story to write about? Well, here, uh, that's what I wanted to get to before. As I'm trying this case, now that's the third time that Reldon is being tried for the murders, the first time I'm involved, in the courtroom are two guys. They're there on a daily basis taking copious notes every day. I start talking to them. What are you doing? We're going to write, each one was on his own, going to write a book on Robert Reldon. I said, well, gee, I guess that uh, certainly is something that's interesting there. I don't know how much more they knew than other, just the, the two murder cases, which might be enough for a book for themselves. But then I, uh, the case is over. He's convicted. I go back to Trenton, uh, doing my work for several more years before I retire. And I never hear anything about the book. In the meantime, I've, I, then I'm sent back to Bergen County to be the acting prosecutor in Bergen County. And I, this, I've never heard about this, you know, this, these books the guys are writing. So I start accumulating. I have access to all the records, the files, the, uh, the evidence. Wow, great. So I start accumulating every transcripts, and I, I start uh, working with the idea. In the meantime, uh, I have the important situation where my, my wife gets uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh so that throws me, off, throws me off for a while. But I'm, start, I'm just starting to write this thing. Uh, and uh, doing, I get about five chapters done. And uh, I realize I need somebody with a little more real writing skill. And Richard Muti was the guy I had hired as, a, uh, as the office manager. Uh, in the Bergen County Prosecutors when I was there, and he, he's written books before. So I contacted him. I said, hey, Rich, now we're both out of the office now. I said, Rich, you want to help me write this book? He said, no. I said, come on. And I gave him part of the file. He read it. He said, hey, let's do it. So <laughs> that's how the book came about. And well, uh, I you, was having, write, ac having access to all those files yeah. and all that information. But the, yeah. but, but the memories are in his head, too. And that, that's where the real stories are, and, and that's where they are in this book. And that's what's fun about well, it. Well, the funny thing was, I mean, a lot of this stuff I never knew about. But when we start digging into it and you, you come up with this stuff, I knew, I knew very little about the... Uh, the, the case involving the plan to murder his aunt. The, one of my best friends, uh, Tony Rath, actually represented Relvin in that trial. Mm. And uh, I, I remember he, he'd keep insisting Relvin was innocent. When I got the transcript, I read the transcript. I said, what are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> well, that's his innocent. job. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how the book came about. It was it was really those two guys, because I, I was waiting for the book. Yeah. It never came. I'll tell you, well, that, that's the way it goes when I did this uh, body count, which comes out again in December, about uh, Robert Lee Yates, the Spokane serial killer. There's about 13 authors who uh, all wanted to do the book and all approached the publisher. But because I actually knew uh, two of the victims yeah. uh, and had lived in the same town, my daughter went to the same school as the killer's daughter and all that stuff, uh, the publisher said, you got the inside track on this did, one, please. Did you please just it. somehow slip a promo for your own book? I'm not stupid, <laughs> Howard. On Charles' time here. Charles taking the This is what we do, uh, Howard. Howard.
Howard, Howard yeah. I'm in awe of our host. <laughs> okay, but my goodness, this is Charles's time. Well, look who's talking here. Tell us about the latest version of Celebrity Rehab. Let me tell you, we start next uh, next next weekend. Did that guy? Was it all in Washington State? Were all the murders in sort of the same location? Uh, two different counties. We think he may have also uh, committed murders in Germany and oh, in boy. Texas. Well, in Germany. Germany. Yeah, he was uh, stationed over there, and they had a lot of uh, unsolved uh, similar homicides. But they got yeah. about 18. Yeah, named Hitler. When in doubt. Just a thought. Well, they tried to, you know, well, as he was saying, you try to clear cases. Well, the minute this guy was arrested, every unsolved murder in America, you know, yeah. They, uh, yeah. they, they try to pin on this guy. And that, uh, that happens sometimes. And they, there were actually two women that they thought were part of, uh, of his crime spree that they figured out, nope, it wasn't him. Mm. There was another killer operating well, at the same time. So how's life as an author versus life as a prosecutor? Well, it's, the book is coming out in uh, Tuesday. I think it's being released. It's, it's out on uh, Kindle and uh, Nook, what, yeah. Uh, yeah. In electronically. Yeah. But it's just that I have a copy. I just got a copy in front of me here, and it, it looks it's really a, you know, an attractive book. I just uh, Isn't it fun to get that book and for the first time and see it with your name on it and everything? Yeah, yeah it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it I'm, really I'm, is. I'm, I'm buying the book during the next break. See, I can download it to my iPhone. That's right, you can during the next break. What do you do? You I download, just download it to, right to my phone. Just download the book, and I'll, I'll have it. I'll own it. And, and what? You just play, uh, and play just, the phone and listen to it? Uh, and play just, the phone and listen to it? No, I just, uh, no, no, no. No, no, I read it. You can read it off. I just I read it. Uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, similar to the Kindle, uh, and, and I just I'm, read the damn thing. I'm 79 years old, and I'm still trying to work out the intricacies of the dial telephone. Anything <laughs> beyond that. <laughs> well, you have to let go of the number when you once you finish the dial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the trick. Yeah. That's the trick. Yeah. Riverside three three five five. Xbrook seven two eight six zero. Those are the phone number. Yeah, Ricky, don't lose that number. Yeah, right. boy, listen so. to this. The Charmer. That's the title. Seventy nine. Charmer. Wait, seventy nine years old. You sound like you're you're not a day older than me. Yeah, I'm seventy six. Yeah. Well, how old was that nice lady we had on a month or so ago? Seventy six years old. Also, we've we've had. She's single. She's, she interested? Listen to this guy. <laughs> yeah. You're worse than Burl Bear. She's another true crime author. So yeah. She's I mean, another, she, she used to we be do, a good we, guy. So Charles, we, we, we could kind of have this uh, dating service yeah. Yeah, where we match we up the true crime authors. Because, <laughs> I, I live in a retirement, sort of ret over 55 type community. And in here there are 132 widowed women and about 16 Widow men. Oh. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> the competition Viagra. for men is frantic. It's like the Hunger Games. <laughs> I'll say, say Viagra for twenty-five bucks a pop. <laughs> uh, uh, so my God, it, it I'll go. Seizure world. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, but not that funny. I'll, I'll tell you the title of the book again, ladies and gentlemen, so you can buy your copy immediately. The Charmer: The Story of Robert Reldon, Rapist, Murderer, and Millionaire. And the women who fell victim to his allure. And allure this guy had. In fact, his allure was so great. We haven't mentioned this. And that is uh, when the trial, right? <laughs> well, I believe it was the first trial. There was one of the jurors who became so enamored with him that she purposely hung the jury and caused a mistrial. Is that that's correct? That's absolutely true. That was... 36, 36 jurors ruled on this case, trial one, two, and three. She was the only one not to vote to convict, and the reason she gave in the jury room was that I just will not convict him. She, she fell in love with him, and I, we know that because one of the jurors was the daughter 
of a Bergen County prosecutor's detective. Mm. Now, they knew it. It was not a secret. But uh, they're Africa, she was African-American, and uh, they wanted some diversity on the jury, hoping that, you know, an animosity to the police might be there, and uh, they'd hang the jury. And she told us this woman fell in love with him. And now, inter- interesting that David, her father was John David, a detective, when I got to be the uh, acting Hudson County prosecutor, she was, she was a, a detective with the Hudson County prosecutor's <laughs> office. He says, I was on the relative jury, the first jury. It's so funny. And then you had a spectator at his second murder trial who became his frequent visitor in prison and tried to smuggle a sawed-off shotgun to make an escape. Only through a quirk of fate that the, the sheriff's and guard who was, who was assigned to the hospital happened to see her. He was sent down because they knew Rel was coming over. He saw her and recognized her as a frequent visitor. And Rel, because Relden had jumped out the window of the courthouse during his second trial <laughs> yes, and attempted and to escape. Another one that jumped out the window. We've had a yeah. couple of those. <laughs> and he, I mean, he saw her and he knew immediately. And uh, he, she had a shotgun, a loaded shotgun with like twenty extra shells, and they were ready to blow their way. She did five years. I mean, this, I would imagine. Uh, during the second trial, when I, I was up in, a, in an adjacent courtroom trying a, a uh, uh, political corruption case out of the town of Little Ferry, I used to go over, and I just went as a break, I'd go over and see what's happening. And Nick, Gall- Nick Gallo, the undercover agent in the, uh, the ants, uh, the plan to kill Aunt Lillian, he's standing in the doorway, and he's fuming. I said, what's the matter, Nick? Are you having trouble with your, your playmate there? Because I knew Rell was on trial. He says, these guys, these sheriffs, don't have any idea how dangerous this guy is. And I look down, there's this woman sitting with Relvin. Now they're, they're maybe three feet apart. They can't touch. The sheriff's officer sitting over on the other side of the room, not even paying attention. And uh, when he jumped bail, when he, when he, he uh, got the mace and uh, tear gas and squirted the guy in the face, I just always assumed, before I really read the record, that she is the one who had slipped him the, uh, the tear gas. Huh. But she didn't. I can't. I'm sorry, Mark, but I, I, I cannot stop thinking about this new business that we've come up with. <laughs> How are we going to have? Yeah, this is like a, a, a J date for <laughs> true crime authors. And I found exactly who we're looking for oh, yeah. in, my, in my in my notes. Yes, yeah. it's uh, it's uh, somebody's mother. Yes. Ah, yes. Yes. Yeah. But the, the one that used to be a gentleman. East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't there, Charles, you might be in good a, shape here. Wasn't there a period or an, an incident where some of the jurors received anonymous envelopes yes. of cash? Yes. That was also during the second trial. And I have to tell you, the only uh, the judge was Paul Hewitt. He was a very experienced judge. And they were down to a point if they lost one more juror. Uh, the trial would, uh, the case would have had to be mistrialed. It was well into the, the the trial, and I mean he handled that in such a perfect way that he removed any possibility of a of a uh, you know error on the part of the court to to cause a mistrial. And uh, the the note was to the jurors. I sent a note to the jurors' homes. And it was said, convict this bum. There's another $100. I forget how much, another $500 waiting for you. There was $100 in each envelope Whoa. if you convict him. So it made it look like somebody was attempting to you know, help the prosecution. When they were really trying to help the defense. Yeah, absolutely. What about this uh, high-ranking police officer who withheld information? For- yeah, this one I like. That was sad. That's sad because I, I knew that guy. I lived in Norwood at the time, and Norwood is right next to Closter. And he was a uh, time was lieutenant, and he, he was a 
good guy. I mean, I liked him very much. But during the second trial, he came forward. Uh, you know, it's it's now a couple of years after the murders, and they're they're into the second trial. And for the first time, he brings in evidence that he had seen a truck exactly similar to Reldon's parked up in the driveway. But what was he doing there? He was concerned. What happened? Concerned he with was, what? This was before the, before the murder, before anybody knew there was a murder. Yeah, yeah. But what happened, he, he was concerned because he was where he was not supposed to be. He's out of town. He, he had a, a business, and his, his group was doing some work on the road. Now, he wasn't supposed to be doing anything with that while, while he was uh, during the hours of work. And so that put him, to, to make that disclosure would put him out of town where he shouldn't be. But he just happened to be in that spot. He's coming right. They were doing the work on, on wow. Stral- I think it was Stralenberg Road. What a great time today, Charles. An hour flew so, by. Yeah. Yeah. Really is it now already? Yeah. 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 Boy, time goes by when you're having fun. The Charmer, <laughs> the story of Robert Reldon, rapist, murderer, and millionaire. Got to get this yeah. book. And the women who fell victim to his allure by Richard Booty and Charles Buckley, who was on the phone with us. Charles, thank you so much. Everyone should get the book immediately, even if they are completely illiterate. Only this book <laughs> bespeaks volumes of their All good right. taste. Earl Howard. Mark, thank you very much. I enjoyed it very, yeah, greatly. Thank we'll you. We'll have you back. Thank Thanks, you. Charles. Thanks okay, a lot. Okay, take care. Bye.